Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Futurals, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go and give us a call. It's 291-6901. And you put a 225 in front of that number. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. And I'm sure we wish you would. We always enjoy hearing from folks all around the country and all around the town. That's all around the world, actually. <laughs> all around the world. That's it. Yeah, just type in the world code in front of the area code. That's right. You can talk to us live right That's now. That's right. Of course, everybody in the Baton Rouge area is probably at LSU Stadium right now. Yeah. Or, a, or headed that way. A significant number of them, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I think that stadium holds, what, like 109,000, is it? Something like that. It used to be 92, and then they added that big section in yeah, the yeah. top. Yeah, it's a huge, oh, huge yeah, stadium. It's... And the 109 inside is nothing compared to the to other 250,000 exactly. <laughs> all around doing the tailgate and all that. Right. Merit. Sit outside and listen to the game. Didn't have tickets to get in. That's right. You can sit out there and listen to the game. At least you're there. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> Give us a call if you're in town. And listening is 291-6901. We always love hearing from folks. Last couple of weeks, we talked about, well, check engine lights uh-huh. two weeks ago. And then last week, we talked a little bit about computers and flashing computers and all that sort of thing. Right. And that sort of stuff is sort of high-tech, I guess, for a lot of people, for, for do-it-yourselfers. It might even be above the head of a lot of the folks who listen. So I thought we'd kind of change tack today and okay. go to something that's a lot simpler, something that the average do-it-yourselfer is quite likely to attempt themselves. Sounds like a great topic. There you go. And, of course, that would be spark plugs. And spark plugs are probably one of the few things that the average do-it-yourselfer can still do sure on as, long, as long as they're done right as long as they're done right that's exactly right and you wouldn't think there are that many things you could do wrong there is a ton on. of things you can do wrong <laughs> well and like absolutely everything else on automobile they have changed oh yes it's, it's just not like your grandpa's spark plugs and right you, you just know, took a, an old a, socket, a 13 16 cent socket and, and a ratchet and reached in there and just grabbed them and swapped them out them days are Right. Kind of gone. About the biggest thing you have to know is how to, what to gap it to. You right. set the gap on before you put it in. And, and, of course, the engines back then, they really didn't – it really wasn't that crucial, the gap. Really wasn't making as long as that it was much close. of a difference. Yeah, yeah. It was fairly close. It's probably going to work. In fact, we used to always sell them just a little below the spec because spark plugs tend to wear. When they wear, they wear open. Right. So you could get a little more life out of them by setting them a thousandth or two tighter. You know, I know V8 Chevrolet, the gap spec was 35,000. We'd set them a 32. Mm-hmm. And it would just give people a little bit more life out of Old right. spark plugs. Back in the day, like we were talking about, you pretty much knew when you needed a set of spark plugs. Right. The engine would start running bad. It would let you know. Right. You would definitely see a noticeable change in the way the engine ran. You'd get a lack of performance. It might start running rough, idling rough. Your fuel mileage would fall off. All these sorts of things. And when that happened, either you went and bought a set of plugs to put in it or you took it to the shop and set on your tune-up. Right. And that used to occur, I guess, any depending on the engine, maybe between six and 12,000 miles. Right. And that was about all you would get because they used a sort of a copper-based spark plug, which would wear away pretty fast, but way, way more to the point. They didn't have computers operating things, keeping at peak efficiency. You had it was all mechanical. Mechanical and physics. You had right. an old carburetor that never got the mixture exactly right. So the spark plugs would tend to foul a lot faster. They built up deposits, which is not so much of an issue today. Engines were far, far less efficient in those days. Definitely. And every six to 12,000, you were going to know because, it, like I said, the first thing, it would start running a little rougher and all that. Now, today, that is not going to happen. You right. are not going to see a degradation in performance. You are not going to see a drop in fuel mileage. You're not going to know that the spark plugs are worn until they fail. And when they fail, it's pretty much too late because you're doing damage to the engine by Wait, that point. You had already been doing damage. That's right. So 
what you have to do instead is you have to go by the manufacturer's guidelines. And every manufacturer is going to have guidelines on a lot of vehicles. It's somewhere between 90 and 100,000 miles. Mm -hmm. And the reason they can go so long is because they're using an iridium plug, which is an incredibly tough material. They're running very efficient, so you don't get as much buildup. The combustion chamber is, for the most part, a lot hotter now because the engines run hotter, so they tend to atomize the deposits and all better than they did. The fuel doesn't have lead in it, which used to tend Mess to wipe plugs, plugs out and stuff as that. So the thing is, there is a time limit on a spark plug. Now, what happens as the plug wears, the gap starts to erode. And as the metal wears away because it's an anode and a cathode, so it starts to transfer metal one to the other and it starts to wear away. And as it does, the gap gets wider and wider and wider. And it takes a lot more spark to cross that gap now that's that it's right. bigger. The amount of energy needed to ionize that plug gap gets greater and greater and greater. So in the old days, what happened is you had a coil with a set of points. The points would break. The coil would induce a spark. The spark would jump the gap. If the gap got too wide, the spark would get weak, and it would start to give you the misfire and mm -hmm. all that. Well, what happens today is that when the gap gets wider, and the same thing happens, it needs more energy to jump this gap, so the mixture gets, I mean, doesn't get burned quite as well. First thing the engine's going to notice is, hey, there's more oxygen in the exhaust than it used to be. That means combustion is not as complete as it used to be. So the computer is going to start looking at things that could lead to this. Right. And the, one of the first things it's going to do is going to increase the burn time on the plug. It just gives it more power. When it does that, it builds more fire, so it's able to jump the gap. So the performance remains the same. Now, you might say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, absolutely nothing is wrong with that. It gives you an engine that doesn't fall off in performance, which is great. However, the coil or coils that run those spark those plugs spark, right. have what they call a duty cycle. Like everything electrical, it has a duty cycle. Which that is means a, a, the amount the of time, time it can, can remain on right. in relation to the total time there is. So let's say 5% duty cycle means it can remain on 5% of the time, but it has to stay off 95% of the time to cool back down to, cool to, back down to build for the next cycle. Correct. And when we're talking about a cycle, when you're going down the road 70 miles an hour, that could be anywhere from 2,000 to 3,000 times a minute that this plug has to fire. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about cool down time, you're talking one, Very little. <laughs> you know, one 2,500th of a minute, which is not a lot. Right. So when you start to exceed that, for instance, the computer says, okay, I've got too much oxygen left in the exhaust. We need more, more fire. fire. So it increases the duty cycle on the call. Now, all of a sudden, the oxygen falls back off. It's doing its job. But the duty cycle on the call is higher now, so it starts to build heat. And what's going to happen is it's going to get hotter and hotter and hotter until it just burns the call up. Correct. Now, the performance never fell off during this period of time. Let's say the spark plugs were supposed to be changed at 90,000 miles, but you pushed them out to 120. And you say, well, it runs just fine. Why change them? Well, the first thing you notice is that the check engine light starts blinking. Well, now, at this point, you're doing damage. That's why the light is blinking. Right. You've got a misfire. And the thing that is so dangerous with a misfire, and the reason the check engine light blinks, is because every time that cylinder misfires, a charge of gasoline, which the injection Unburned. sprayed, did not get burned. Right. So what happens to this gas? It goes right out the exhaust. That's right. When the exhaust valve opens, all that charge goes right out the exhaust and into the catalytic converter, which is already running 1,000 to 1,200 right. degrees. Right. So you, you throw a, a gas charge on, it's just like throwing gas on a fire. It's going to run the temperature of that cat 
way up, and cats not designed to handle that kind no, of temperature. It just can't. And what will happen is you'll start to melt the ceramic and melt the inner innards in the converter, uh-huh. and the converter will fail. So these are the reasons you can't just wait until you got a problem. Exactly. Hey, we're going to take our quick little break. We'll be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. Hi folks, Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business and man, I can't believe all the calls we receive from national dignitaries. Louis, it's the governor. I'm taking time out from my new movie to congratulate you on 40 years. I got to run, but I'll be back. Louis, hey, I'm playing golf with an old friend, and we wanted to call and say that 40 years is quite a run. Louis, that is absolutely splendorific. <laughs> hey, Louis, James here, 40 years, wow. You know, there's nothing more I like than a good homegrown Louisiana success story, except, well, maybe politicking and my tigers. You up now, you hear? Well, I'm flattered. I guess even in the world of politics, honesty and integrity are still something to value. Okay, well, maybe outside the world of politics. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you join us the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. And between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go and give us a call. It's 291-6901. Today, we're talking about spark plugs and why you want to change them and how to change them and all that sort of thing. Of course, we'll take a call any topic you might have. That is correct. Whatever's bugging you, whatever's giving you a problem, you give us a call. We'll try to help you out and give you a little advice. And we were talking just before the break about the reason why or reasons why you would want to change spark plugs, even though you're not having The engine's not running bad. That's correct. And... I like to change plugs maybe a little bit before the recommendation that's given because I find a lot of times it's sort of a blue sky estimate. Right. Some vehicles more so than others. Now, I got to say, General Motors, like the Chevy pickup trucks, the 5.3, seems to be real easy on plugs. Right. The the 4.8, the 5.3, and the 6.0 are all the same top end. They come with an Iridium plug, which is a very good plug, and they seem to last pretty well. They do. They go a long ways. We don't see too many misfires on those engines. Now, you compare that to, say, some of the Chrysler products, which still use cop- copper copper plugs. So right. The Hemi comes to mind, uh, yeah, that, first off. that engine's uh, eight cylinders. got 16 spark plugs That's in it. That's right. So you got to be prepared to change 16 spark plugs out of it. Every 30,000 miles. And some of them are a bear to get to. Yeah. I mean, the, the ones on the driver's side that's hidden behind the booster, mm-hmm. master cylinder booster assembly, are real difficult to get mm-hmm. to. Some of your Toyota products also still use copper plugs, and they're supposed to be changed every 30,000 miles. So mm-hmm. the point is you have to go to the recommendation to know when to change them because you won't get the symptom of a spark plug misfire and all that. By the time you get the symptom, you're into spark plugs, possibly a coil pack or two. If it's got coil packs. Possibly a catalytic converter. Right. So we could take, if you do it yourself, 40 or $50 service. Okay. If you have to pay to have it done, maybe $150, $200 service and turn it into a $2,000 service real, real quick. Real easy. <laughs> Some of those catalytic converters run eighteen dollars to $2,000. Well, that's right, just for the converter. Right. Let's go to our phone lines with David. Good morning, David. Hi, good morning, Lewis and Brian. Yes, good sir. morning. Just wanted to let you know, I've been listening to your commercials and waiting for this famous American to call in to tell you that 40 years is huge <laughs> in making America great again. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> 
But I did have a more serious question okay. I wanted to ask. Go ahead. It's about tires, although I've been listening to the spark plug information. Mm-hmm. I know that you recommend uh, six years as kind of the outer limit on tires. Yes, sir. And they seem to have improved over the years, and I'm due with a 2007 truck with original equipment on it at uh, 78000 but lots of tread left. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Are the tire makers doing anything to extend the life no. of the tires? So that no, they're not. I feel like I can get my money's worth. Yeah, no, they're not. And, David, it's sort of up in the air because the tire manufacturers do not want to even give you a time limit on tires. Some of them do, but most of them do not. Most experts agree that six years is a safe life. Now, in Europe, that is a standard, six years. Rubber manufacturers of Europe have adopted that number, and in six years for safety, tires come off. In the United States, that's not been adopted. So the reason being, let's say you're manufacturing tires, and you manufacture X number of a certain size, hoping that you'll sell all those. Then you reset up, you start manufacturing another size. Then you set up, you start making another size. You don't make every size every day. In other words, they might produce 100,000, 255, 55, 18s. Then they'll change all the molds out. Then they might make 100,000 of the next size, and on and on it goes. So the problem for them is, let's say we've got a bunch of tires that have been sitting in a warehouse for three years. Now we want to sell them to somebody. <laughs> you see where I'm going with that? I do, and I don't want to buy those. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. But that is a reality for them, and that's why they don't want to put a number out there. And I think that's a real disservice to the American public. Does it mean that your tire is going to fail at six years? No, probably not. But what it means is the odds of a failure go astronomically higher when a tire exceeds six years. The rubber that comprises the tire, the glues and stuff that hold the tire together, all the components of the tire are getting pretty tired. And i got to say, I've got two vehicles that I don't put a lot of miles on, and it irks me because I just took a set off my Park Avenue with, what, half the rubber left on them? Or at least half the rubber on them. Yeah, because these are high-mileage tires. and I mean, what I did on mine, I went to an H-rated tire because I wanted to wear out somewhere around the time that it gets old, and I like the performance of the H tires, a little bit softer rubber compound, so I like that performance better. I finally get better wet weather traction with it. It handles a little better with H's. Now we're talking to hurt me at all. We're also talking about a vehicle that doesn't require right. an H rated right. tire. Mine it call, requires an S rated yeah, tire. Yeah, mine calls for an S, but, but I put we, the H's right. instead. So upgrading to a higher rated tire is okay as long as you're not degrading. You can't go down right, right. the other way. But to answer your question, no, it's pretty much a matter of physics in that rubber and adhesives and all these things are just going to have a life. It's sort of like a belt or a battery or any other part of the car. It's just a consumable item. It's going to last so long and it's going to start giving trouble. And some is going to depend on your usage. If you're, let's say, an elderly person and you're just kind of putting around town, going to the beauty shop and back, driving three miles, four miles at a time and probably never going over 45 miles an hour is probably not as critical as the guy who's going to get in the car and drive from here to Atlanta at 75 miles an hour because it's going to be more of a high-speed, long-driving time build-up thing. It's going to be a heat thing more than anything. You you get it on the interstate, you can start building heat in that tire pretty fast. Right, but there's no law in the United States that says you have to do that. It's just good common sense, and I know I changed all mine out at that mileage, 
and virtually no tire problems whatsoever. I get people come in all the time with tires that are six years old, seven years old, eight years old. Still have seven and five thirty seconds right. left well, on them. Some of them, the tires have separated, beat all the side the car up, all sorts of different stuff. Well, I sure do thank you for the information. And you raised another point I want to ask about. Will my owner's manual tell me what the tire rating should be? Like yes. A S or well, a? you don't even have to look at the manual on the. The on the door, door tag. Yeah, on the door. Tell them about the door placard. It's actually, it's some vehicles it's on the door, some vehicles it's on the door post on the driver's side. If you look at that placard, it's going to have the, the production size. date, it's going to have the VIN number, it's going to have a few more options, and then it's going to have the tire size required for that vehicle, tire size and speed rating. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I know the tire pressure's there. I look at it. That's where the tire pressure's there. Right also. above that. The yeah. It should if have the tire and speed rating as well. If it's not on that identification card, there should be another one right next to it. Or on some of your, I believe it was Nissan's, they were in the center console, opened up the top, and they were posted right there in the top. But it's mm-hmm. on the car somewhere. And it will be repeated in the owner's manual also. Right. All right. I sure do appreciate it. All right, David. Thanks, Good man. work. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you. All right. Bye-bye. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. I noticed on my car, when I went to the H-rated tire, there was a marked difference. And again, the car doesn't call for an H. It calls for an S. Correct. But my handling, particularly my wet weather handling, mm-hmm. seemed to just be a lot better. The tires just seemed to grip the road because it is a softer compound. I can go with an S. I can get more miles. And let's say I was driving... Well, yeah, you're driving back and forth it, to Houston or Atlanta right. every week. If you I was would driving 30,000 miles a year, I would want a long lifetime. Yes, you would. But in my conditions, I'm going to probably hit the six-year limit before I hit the 70, oh, I'm sure. 60,000 miles it takes to wear those tires out. And, of course, I keep my cars very well aligned. I know a good alignment, man. <laughs> <laughs> so my tires don't wear out prematurely. That's it. And it does break my heart to have to take them off of there. I, I understand. I, it but, was like pulling teeth to try to get you to do it the other day. I know. I know. And... What's even maybe more of a problem for people is like a motor home. Oh, yeah. Because they may have six, eight, ten great big expensive 10-ply tires, 12-ply right. tires on them. Most six, people, years old. Yeah, most people do not use their motor homes that much. So those tires will definitely dry rot. Yes, they will. Long before they wear out. And let me tell you, it's not very safe having a 30, 40, 50-pound missile going down that interstate with eight nine year old tires <laughs> exactly not only you could tear your stuff up you probably could tear some other people's stuff up too uh, it will take a while to get that beast slowed down that's right with a tire blown out on it so anyway that's just a little tip we were talking about spark plugs and why you might want to change them and all that sort of thing now when you get ready to change the spark plugs there's a few things that you're going to need to know sure First thing is, you're going to need the numbers off of the spark plug to make sure you get the right plug to go back in the car. Right. Not only the same numbers and not only the right one for the car, but I always suggest putting the same exact spark plug back Back in in the car. For instance, if it's a GM, put Delco. Mm -hmm. If it's a Ford, put Motocraft. Right. Chrysler usually uses uses Champion. Champion. A lot of the imports use NGK. Mm -hmm. Some of them make their own spark plugs. Some use Nipodenzo. Whatever the original spark plug, and then use the OEM version of the original spark plug. Right. Because NGK might make five plugs that fit that car. Don't bite on all this high, oh, this one's better than this. No, 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 not either. Put the OEM plug. That is what is designed for that car. Mm-hmm. And the last thing you want to do is go out to the parts store, let them talk you into know, sell these triple electrodes with right. bang, yah, yah, yah brand plugs. That is not going to increase performance. It's not going to increase gas mileage. It's not going to last longer. All it's going to do is end up with problems down the road. 
get the original equipment OEM version of the original manufacturer spark plug. And some of that you got to be careful with because they change the numbers in midstream sometimes. That's right. And you may end up with a different number because this is an upgraded plug. I know they did that with the Iridium plugs when they came out. Right. Upgraded the earlier version. Changed the plug gap slightly. I think, right. They went them. from a, a 60 to a 40 right. thousandths gap on them. Let's take a few of these phone calls. Right. We got Steve online. Good morning, Steve. Hey, Lewis. Hey, Brian. Yes, Good sir. morning. Hey, guys, I want to ask y'all's opinion. I'm looking at thinking about purchasing a 2013 Dodge Journey with the 3.6 liter V6. Yes, sir. Any red flags on that vehicle as far as the engine problems? Really haven't seen a huge amount. We don't work on a lot of them. Uh, I don't think there's that many of them in the Baton Rouge area compared to like the Toyotas and all the other stuff that we see all the time. That's the same drive line they got in the little Jeep Liberty and the, uh, yeah. the other one, I think. Uh-huh. Most of the problems that we've seen with it has been lubrication-related problems, and I think people are pushing those oil changes way, way too long. Yep. I mean, the first thing I would do is I would adopt an oil change strategy based on my use. And if you're not sure about that, go to my website and just type in, like, oil change interval, and there's about five articles on that topic. But that's very, very important. I would probably use a synthetic-based oil in it because it just does tend to be a little lubrication-related problems in that engine. But overall, not bad. I mean, just depends how long you plan on keeping. If you're going to keep it 100, 120,000 miles, you probably won't see many problems out of it. If you're going to look for a vehicle that you're hoping to keep for 200,000 miles, I'd probably look at a Honda or Toyota instead. Right. But it just depends on your use and what you're looking for. Okay. Well, let me ask you, does that uh, engine have a timing belt or timing chain in it? I'm sure it's a chain. Okay. The reason why I ask is it's got fairly high miles on it. It's got just shy of 75,000 okay. miles mm-hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, something else, it's at a local dealership, mm-hmm. and I noticed they printed up, it's called Auto Check Report. Right. It also lists what they did to the vehicle, and one thing that kind of raised a red flag was it had an aftermarket trailer hitch on it that they removed. Okay. And I was wondering, with just shy of 75,000 miles, if I bring it to you for a pre-purchase inspection... Can you determine if that transmission was overloaded or anything? Stop taking it apart. Not without dropping the pan and looking inside of it. And then if it's just been serviced, I might not even be able to tell. All the evidence may be gone. I may be able to pick up something. For instance, if there are any codes in memory or if the pressures are erratic, I think, Steve, just from what you've told me, given that vehicle and its lifespan and amount of mileage and a couple of red flags already, unless you're just getting a steal. Like you're buying this thing 5000 under retail. I think I'd look for something else. It's just too many potential problems there. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too, Lewis. You I know, mean, there's a lot of cars. I think I'd pass. Right. You know, I, I'd go look for something with less of a potential for problems. The problem you get into on a used car when you start to get to that kind of mileage is if I buy a car with, say, 30,000 miles on it, 35, if the guy yeah. did nothing but all changes, I'm still good. Yeah. But when I started getting to 75, if he did nothing but all changes, he's probably missed a couple of services. So now my potential for problems go up. The only reason I would look at doing that would be if I was getting the car for a steal. I'm buying this car five grand under normal price. Okay, well, then I'm on it. Because my reward has got to equal my risk. And if yeah, the risk is yeah. higher, i got to have more reward. Yeah. I think I'd look for something else, just from what you're telling me. Okay, yeah. I, I was kind of leaning towards that, too. I just, mm-hmm. just wanted to run it by you and Brian. Well, I appreciate it. Okay, so thanks a lot, Lou. All right, man, thanks. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. we got to take one more quick little break. Glenn, if you hold on, you'll be straight up after this break. 
Hi folks, Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. Our team is celebrating 40 years in business and we're getting congratulatory calls from all kinds of characters. And I do mean characters. Zoinks! You know, Lewis, me and Scoob will never forget the time that you fixed the alignment on the mystery machine. Forty years is really far out, man. <laughs> Lewis, there's a lot of lily-livered varmints out in the automotive world, but not of you. You're the best north, south, east, and west of the Pecos. Hats off to forty years, partner. Don't! Forty years is almost higher than I can count. My only complaint is that you don't give away free donuts. <sighs> donuts. Well, it seems like high-quality automotive care in this day and age is still appreciated. I just can't believe all these characters really call. Oh, well, they always say I am quite an animated guy. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. We wish you would call. <laughs> and that's exactly what Glenn did. Thanks for holding, Glenn. Hey, I've got so many problems, I don't know where to begin. All righty. Oh, 2003 Lincoln Town car. Mm-hmm. It's got the dreaded manifold. Yes, sir. Uh, mm-hmm. Slight leak. It's been mm-hmm. going for quite a while. It boiled over on me. About a seven-mile trip across town, pick up my kid at football practice, and I it was a thermostat that was stuck, mm-hmm. so I replaced the thermostat, right. and, well, it started to boil over again. It started right. to, it, right at that seven-mile point where I'm turning on the clay cut, it started <laughs> moving up again, so I let it cool down. I turned the air conditioner off. I made it home. It never did heat up over the normal thing, but I've also got a problem with the air conditioner. I believe it's the clutch. It's been making a noise ever since we had a flood. Mm-hmm. And I rent through some water, and the air conditioner's been working, but now it's sometimes at idle, it, it doesn't blow as cold. So I yeah. know there's a problem there. But you, that, you must have a whole lot of money, huh, Glenn? No. A pretty rich guy? <laughs> <laughs> no, with two kids because in private school. Your car I might care, be on my bicycle. <laughs> yeah, your car care habits are very expensive, man. Now, you deal with the intake. Let's go back to that and start with that. What happens when you got a leak in the cooling system? It's not just a leak. You can't just let it go because what happens as the coolant leaks out, air leaks in, and you've got a corrosive process. The reason the thermostat went off is because you had a bunch of corrosion in the system, which ate the thermostat up. At the same time, it's eating up all this other stuff in the system. So if you let this go on for a year and a half before you fix it, your cooling system is so corroded by that time, there's really little you can be able to do. I mean, the heater core is going to go out. The radiator is going to go out. You may have blown a head gasket, is what it sounds like, probably from all the overheating, because well, that, that's why it keeps overheating. And the overheating part, you create other problems. Well, your cooling system works like a big pressure pot on a stove. Mm-hmm. That radiator cap holds about 15 to 18 pounds, which lowers the boiling point on the coolant. And if, it leak, if it's leaking, then the boiling point rises, which is going right. to make it overheat even faster. Right. So I guess the point is, and I'm not trying to chastise you about it, it's just this is how we got to the point we're at right now. The time to have addressed all that would have been way back when it started. At this point, well, I never noticed it because it. I never looked, and it never dripped on the ground. It, yeah. It's right below the thermostat. Yeah, I know where it's at. Mm-hmm. It's, the thermos, it's the yep. housing. It's where the aluminum part goes into the metal part. Mm-hmm. There's a gasket in there that yep. leaks, and that cannot be replaced. You have to change the whole intake manifold to fix that. The problem you can have now is you still got that repair to make, but how many other collateral problems have been created? You know, if it's overheating in seven miles, that sounds an awful like, like a head gasket blown, mm-hmm. which is pretty much going to total that car. And if you don't change it, the hydrocarbons are going to get in the coolant. It's going to take it down even faster and all that. But every time it overheats, it also is 
overheating the transmission. Well, I've only been making very short trips, uh-huh. like a mile to work yeah. and back, and so I've, I, it seems to run fine. I just uh-huh. I'm not sure. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. they have the same power it's always had. Yeah, well, I mean, you can try and see what happens. The air condition, same deal. If the clutch starts to go out, you keep driving. You can take out the compressor. When the compressor goes out, it contaminates the system. Wipes the whole system Wipes out. Wipes the whole system out. So it, Which pretty much totals the car down. Right. Pretty much the point is that I'm trying to make is all this stuff could likely have been prevented, but you can't just wait and keep driving, driving, driving because it's still driving okay. Because with a computerized car, it's going to drive okay until it just absolutely won't go anymore. When it quits driving, you're going to have what's called nefer, not economically feasible repair. And right. that's kind of sort of the point you're in right now. What right. I would recommend before you spend a nickel on this car Take it to somebody that you know and trust and have them do a general inspection of the car and let you know where you stand. And if the guy is an honest guy, he may tell you, well, you got this, 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 this. It's going to cost this much to fix it. That's great. But he may also say, hey, Glenn, this car is not worth it, man. I mean, if you want to keep making one-mile trips in it until it just totally dies, that's fine. But it's not worth putting a lot of money into because the air conditioner is wiped completely out. you got a blown head gasket. The transmission has been overheated three or four times. What you don't want to do is go spend fifteen, eighteen hundred dollars on a car that's going to die anyway. Yeah, just, it may, it's time to start looking for something you, else. You need to find out where you stand, and the only way to do that is to bring it to professional, have him evaluate the entire car, tell him all the symptoms that you got. But again, cooling systems will get out of hand so fast. Not only that, what most people do when the coolant gets low is add water to the system, which is the absolute worst possible thing you can do because when you put water in there, you dilute the coolant, which is the corrosion protection. So it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. You got like the perfect storm of killing the car. So you could evaluate it we could. for a, yes, sir. a rough fee of... It's about an hour service on it, which is $95 mm-hmm. in our shop. And most people have a similar type of services. But at that point, you'd at least know, is this yeah. something we can... Is it some work? In other words, I got to try to get another year out of it. If I do this and this and this, can I get another year or two? And you just don't want to go start putting money into it, hoping to get another year or two. Because if the car is already too far gone... It's best to cut uh, right now and run. If the car could be fixed to where you can get another year or two out of it, then that's great. But the longer you wait, the lower the odds are going to be of, of doing that. It's going to get way, way worse real, real quick. And oddly enough, I had an email and a call from a, a warranty company. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it sounded like a good deal, but it said, you know, I think you got to drive the car a 1,000 miles yeah. uh, uh, before you can do anything. Yeah. Warranty company is absolutely nothing more than an insurance policy. And these right. guys are real smart and not giving anything away. So there is no yeah, such thing as a free deal. They wouldn't be doing it if they wouldn't They're going to charge money. you more than they're going to spend every time and that and that's they make money and that's why they write new emails and that's why they're trying to sell you all this stuff they had a big scam going several years ago they, they got in the phone book right and just started calling phone numbers right a and, lot of and offering warranty yeah, a lot of them get, get the money and then they're they're a baller room operation out of the bahamas somewhere yeah, they take off and <laughs> they can't they ever contact off. them again right right i wouldn't i wouldn't go that way i just have the car evaluate and see where you stand and then make a decision based on that okay all righty thanks thanks call man bye-bye Alright, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to part of the automotive, I would love to have you. And you know, we're talking today about spark plugs. Glenn's, I mean, again, I'm not picking on Glenn, but it, that is kind of a lot of folks that feel that way. They say, well, cars run okay. Right. And the point is, cars today are designed to, to isolate the driver from symptoms. They right. They don't want you to feel symptoms. Right. It's, it's people gonna, don't like that. It's going to run till it quits. By the time you start feeling symptoms, in other words, the symptom is the first time it overheated. Right. That was a pretty big symptom right there. But if you ignore that and keep on going, then you're just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. 
And the same thing with the spark plugs. Let's say you get to 90,000 miles, the car is still running fine. You push it out until you burn up some calls. These ignition calls could be anywhere from 80 or $90 to $300 a piece. Sure. And a lot of your vehicles are, have multiple uh, calls six on or eight calls on them. That's right. And if you do that and then you end up with a misfire, then the misfire can take out the catalytic converter. If the catalytic converter goes out, the check engine light is going to pop on. It's just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. It's not ever going to get any better. So the point is, if you will watch the guidelines and replace these things before you have trouble, then you're not going to have these type of problems. That's just the only way to do it. There's no way to go and just wait until you have trouble with it. So just a word of advice on that. And that holds true with just about everything. Now, when you get ready to change the spark plugs, there's a few things like we alluded to you're going to need to know. You're going to need to know what kind of spark plug it is. You're going to need to know if these spark plugs are underneath the intake manifold or not. Correct. So therefore, you may need a gasket. You may not need a gasket. If the intake has to come off, we would strongly suggest change the gasket because those are not really reusable. They're not considered reusable. What happens very often, we will get cars in the shop with a misfire, with a lean code, and they've had spark plugs put in them maybe three months ago or whatever. And what happened is they went to change plugs Saturday morning. They went and got their plugs. They went home they found out they had to get the intake manifold off so they pulled the intake off didn't have a gasket so they put it back with the old gasket well now they've created a vacuum leak so they start setting a misfire code or lean codes Uh and so the problem again just gets worse and worse worse it all has to come back apart again so be aware that a lot of the modern engines you do have to take the intake manifold or something else off to get access to most the spark. your v6 cars front wheel drive the intake is actually laid over the back of the valve cover on the back side so therefore it has to come off to access those plugs mm-hmm. and you know while you're in there do a little recon work i mean yeah. Think about what are you having to take off to do it. it w- what else is under there? Right. Some of your intakes have coolant running through them. Right. So, therefore, you may have to drain the coolant down to take the intake off. Do a coolant service. Right. If the valve cover's leaking and you have to take the intake back off to get to the valve cover, you might as well do it while you're there. time to change the valve cover. That's right. Just a coil, if you got a bad coil, mm-hmm. even if it's not on the back side. Right. If you replace coil, I like to put them where they're most inaccessible. Right. The new one. If, let's say, one of the front calls has burned up, well, what you may want to consider, if you have to take the intake manifold off anyway, buy three calls, put all three of the back ones on. The new ones on the back. Take the back ones, move to the front, because if they fail subsequent to this, they're going to be real easy to get to. Exactly. Right there on the front of the motor. Let's go back to the phone lines and catch some of these folks. We got Ron online. Good morning, Ron. Yeah, good morning, Lewis. I've I've got a 2001 Infiniti QX4. Mm Mm-hmm. And I've got it. It takes a 245, 65, 17 inch tire. I'm just noticing on the door mm-hmm. that it only takes 26 pounds of air. Is that correct? Well, Ron, you got to remember there is a number of theories about air pressure and all that. What Infinity wants this car to do is ride really well. Because when you go test drive a Lexus and you go test drive something else and you come test drive that Infinity, they want this car to ride real smooth. So what they're going to do is spec out the minimum amount of air that requires to safely support the weight of the car. Mm-hmm. And that's what that number is. That's considered the minimum. Now, the maximum is what's written on the sidewall of the tire, and that might be 45 PSI. Now, you can't run it at the maximum, but you could run it somewhere below that maximum and probably achieve a little better tire life. However, you're going to lose some ride. So it's sort of a balancing act. What we like to do on cars where it's possible is to start out about 10% under what's on the sidewall. 
Mm-hmm. For instance, let's say the sidewall calls for 44. I would mm-hmm. start out at 40 and then ride. And if it drives too rough, bring it on down. You just can't come below the door tag. Just remember, the lower the air pressure, the more tire wear you're going you're gonna to start you're gonna get. picking up shoulder wear. Right. But the yeah. car is going to ride better also. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of the newer cars, the tire pressure monitoring system is pretty much set with a high limit and a low limit. And if you put a lot more pressure in there, your light may come on. So on those cars... If you don't want to see the light, you got to kind of go with what they say. And some of those you can go in and adjust. I know on the GM, on the Silverado, right. you can take the Tech 2 and you can go in and you can change the maximum air pressure. So if you want to run a higher air pressure in that vehicle, you can and yeah. it won't turn the but light not on. All but not all that feature. Right. Yeah, I've been running 35 pounds. I mean, I figured that'd be about pretty good. I've been getting a good ride out of it. Yeah. You know, so as long as the ride is still good and you're not throwing light on of any kind, yeah, that's my... Go, like I said, I always set mine about 10 under the max, and that's where I start right. with. I'm, and I bleed down from there. I'm more after tire life, mm-hmm. so I'm going right. to run 10% under the max no matter what. Right. Yeah, I got you. So it's just a preference. Let me ask you something. What is the recommended maintenance on that boy's changing spark plugs in that vehicle on auto mileage on that? Do you know? I would have to look it up. It's probably about 90,000 on most about Nissan's. 90,000. You think uh, Rydian plugs? Yeah. Too? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And well, thank I, you I usually buy those from Infinity. They're pretty reasonable on them. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, thank you so much. Huh, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. We've got time to take one more little call for the break. we got Wayne on. Not sure what's going on there. <laughs> got a whole bunch of background noise. We're going to go ahead and take a quick little break and be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hey, Lewis Alvesan, Banco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business, and you won't believe the people calling in to congratulate us. Hey, Lewis, it's Jay. You you know, I'm in the cars myself, and 40 years of business is amazing, just amazing. You know, if I still had my show, I'd have you in the interview chat just like that. Mr. Altazan, congratulations from your old pal Jack. 40 years is quite an accomplishment, and that's the truth. I should know, because I can handle the truth. Uh, uh, Lewis, it's, it's me, Oz. 40 years. I, I got it bloody amazing. Sharon, where's my cell phone? Oh, that's right. I, I, I'm on it. Now I've got to find my glasses. Well, it's been really nice getting all these calls. I guess in this day and age, people really appreciate an automotive repair shop that does good work and will never steer you wrong. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvesan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any questions you might have. And we've got Wayne's been patiently holding. Good morning, Wayne. Good morning. How are we all today? Doing great. Good sir. morning. Good morning. I'm looking into buying a 2012 Ford pickup with the EcoBoost engine. Mm-hmm. In. Is yes. there any drawbacks to the EcoBoost? We've had quite a few engine problems with those, Wayne. I, it's not one of my favorites. I mean, again, it's like I guess everything else. If it's maintained properly, you got to remember it's a turbocharged engine. It's a small engine. It's turning a lot of RPM. That thing needs a synthetic oil in it. It needs to be changed religiously. And a lot of people who sell those used don't do that. Make sure you hear it when it's cold. Crank it up when it's cold. Make sure there's no rattling or anything down in the motor. I know we had one in the other day with 80,000 miles. Crank it up. As soon as it warmed up, it went away. So what you don't want to do is go to the lot and somebody's already driven it and warmed it up before you got there. You get in driving, it sounds just fine, but next morning you crank it up. <laughs> but, yeah, they've had a fair number of engine problems 
on that vehicle. You couple that, Ford in general has a lot of air conditioning problems with their vehicles. We do complete AC rebuilds on those between fifty and 75,000 miles on a pretty regular basis. So not a horrible vehicle, but certainly not one of favorites. I'd be very, very careful getting it checked out. Yeah. Well, first one this morning, the it up, it's just a car lot down the road for me, and just outside. It was quiet. I mean, I didn't mm-hmm. hear no, no noise. So yeah, I just, to, I would have that checked by a professional yeah. for, for absolutely sure before I bought it. Just have somebody check it out real good for you. Okay. Um, All right. All right. I appreciate the time. Yes, sir. All right. Thank, Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. Still got a few minutes left. Be glad to try to answer any questions you might have. We're talking about spark plugs, and we've covered pretty much why you have to do it, and things you do to get ready to do it i guess as a wrap-up we want to talk about changing the plug most of your vehicles now is your ford your overhead cam fords mm-hmm. the spark plug is down in a tube right on the side of the head down inside the engine so when you take the you got to unbolt the coil and take it out there's a rubber boot on it mm-hmm. and a spring those should be changed every time you change the right. plug that's all like the old plug wires were right in the old days Take some air, blow that hole out, blow all the trash, the dirt, the sand, everything that is accumulated down in that hole. Because when you take the plug out, there's an empty hole right in the cylinder. That's right. And fall. that stuff is going in the cylinder. Right. So if you don't blow all that out before you start, when that plug and call comes out, it's That's all right. going right into the cylinder. I've seen little pebble rocks right in those holes. You couldn't get the spark plug socket on the plug because it had a, a rock in it. Right. Got around the side of the plug. So you'd have to reach in there and, and blow the rocks out to change the spark plugs. Mm-hmm. There are several different types of tools you need now. Before, all you had to have was a little 5.8 socket and a ratchet, and you could take most of the plugs out. Now, with the spark plugs down in the tubes, you have to have a a plug, special plug wrench, and a socket and an extension to get down in there. Once you get the plug out, then all that comes back out. The main reason you have a locking extension now on your socket Mm -hmm. is so when you put the plug back in, you can retrieve your extension in your socket right. back out of it the tube. Fall off down. Right, the hole. just a little quick connect. Um, little ball. The old ball and spring won't do it anymore. The the socket will get stuck on the plug, and you'll end up taking the plug back out, and oh, it's a, it's a nightmare. Yeah, that's right. So you got to have the right tools and know what the right tools are. Now, I've heard a lot of people say they put never seize on the threads. On the, the threads, right? That should never be done. Right. Uh, that plug is designed to be put up dry, mm-hmm. just the way it was when they built it at the factory. Mm-hmm. You start putting lubricants on the threads, you end up with a, a tighter, heavier torque. Right, you've changed the torque requirements be- of the plug. Because you you've changed the lubrication on the right. threads. So what you're measuring with torque is resistance to turn and not how tight it is. When you lubricate the thread, you're turning it a lot further, you can end up pulling the threads out of the head. Right. You, you can, can also change the heat range on the plug by doing that. We've seen the plug blow out of the head because it's still... Uh, Right. Threads are stripped out. That's right. So you just go back with the plug just the way it is. Another thing is plugs today, particularly Iridium plugs, are not designed to be gapped. Right. They, they come, come pre-gapped. They come pre-gapped, and most of them have a little sleeve on the bottom to keep them from getting damaged in shipping. Right. If the gap is not correct, you need to send the plug back. Right. And get one that is, because you're not going to be able to gap it. It's too brittle, and if you bend it, you may end up breaking That little piece is in the cylinder, and it will drop, drop down. down into the cylinder. We're going back to try to catch Keith. Good morning, Keith. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Thank you. I have a uh, 2005 Chevy Silverado with a 5.3 liter V8, mm-hmm. and I cannot find the PCV valve. I'm not certain that there is one. You can. It's got what they call an orifice tube on it. It's not really a PCV valve. Most of them, is, I think it's a CR2001 is a part number on it. It's just a little tube with a hole in it. It doesn't have the ball and all that stuff like they had before. 
So that really is not going to have to be replaced. It's pretty much good for life. I mean, unless it just the hose on it breaks or something. That's what most of them have. I would not say they didn't build some of them that just didn't even have that, but it should be in one of the valve covers. I think driver's, driver's side, side valve rear. cover all in the rear back. and maybe covered with some stuff. You may have to take something off to see it, but it's just a little it looks like a piece of e valve, but when you take it out, you can see a hole and you can look right through it. It's just an orifice or restrictor. Just okay, you, you're exactly correct because mm-hmm. when I, I've got good vacuum, but when you try to blow into the tube, it feels like an orifice. Yeah, that's all that's, it is. Yep. It's just a little restrictor to keep from being an open vacuum leak. But they've got them engineered to the point where they can do without the valve. The valve served a couple of purposes. It would keep it from purging the uh, crankcase at idle because what it would do is it would cause a vacuum leak. So the valve would close at idle. It would open when you're under moderate acceleration, and it would close again under heavy acceleration. With the computers and all they've got now, if it starts to lean out, they can just reach in the injector, so they can kind of cover up without it. So they just went to a fixed orifice tube on that one. But it pretty much, unless the hose breaks or something, it's pretty much good for life. Now, the hoses will get brittle. Yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate that answer. All right. Y'all have a great day. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number if you want to part of the automotive iron. We were wrapping up about our spark plug discussion. Right. And one other topic I would like to make, of course, you don't ever change the spark plugs on the engine that's hot correct or warm you should always change them cold and when we say cold we mean cold to the touch yeah lay your hand on that engine and it shouldn't burn you or feel hot right that's when you change this plug so that means it's going to have to sit for a few hours before you change them because when the aluminum head gets hot it expands the threads get bigger if you torque a cold plug into that head when it heats up it's going to be over torqued correct end up damaging the thread so you want the engine completely cold you want the plug completely dry the gap should be preset from the factory on iridium plug you don't try to regap it and there is a factory torque spec to torque that plug into the head that is correct and you always want to go to the factory spec you don't want to just crank them down as tight as they will go or anything like that exactly now one last thing is the spark plug wires most vehicles today don't have wires they got call on plugs but like our last caller with the chevy pickup it's got a little set of short wires right correct Generally, you're going to get about 100,000 miles on a set of plugs. At 100,000 miles, those wires are real tired. They're tired and they're brittle. Right. And they're stuck to the plugs. When you try to get them off, many times you're going to damage them, which is going to result in a misfire. Just do yourself a favor. Go ahead and just replace the wires when you change the plug. You're taking one end off anyway. That's right. You're already there. Right. I like to take them off the coils first. Right. Then you can grab the wire and you can really twist it and get it to come off of the plug where the the boot is not stuck in your way when you try to put the that socket right. on it. That's right. And so it's coming off anyway. So I mean, you on, just got the cost of the, the wire. Right. Same thing on calls. They got the little call boot on the bottom, and many of those are replaceable. If you can get a replacement for that, go ahead and change the little call boots because that acts sort of like a plug wire. There's also a spring in there. You need right. to clean the contact. Take the spring out and clean the contact on the bottom of the coil and put the spring back on and put your new boot on it. A lot of your new boots will come with a new spring. There you go. So just make sure it's a good, clean connection there. Put it back together, and you're ready to rock and roll. There you go. I hope we helped people out, gave them a few tips that might save them some time and trouble and money. That's If we didn't, you can always go to the website. There you go, www.agcoauto.com. Lots of good information, and we got to go and get out of here. They tell throwing, everybody. Us, <laughs> throwing us out again. There huh? you go. Tell us how, everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to your favorite rebroadcast service, and if they got a place for written rating, please fill it out for us. That's right. If you got a place for a written review, go ahead and give us a review, and that way when folks type in auto repair, we our come up. will come up. And we get a lot more listeners that way. More listeners, the more we can do the show. That's it. <laughs> I tell you what, we quit getting listeners, and they're going to throw us off this station. I'm sure they are. Then we won't. Then we'll be 
just sitting here talking to each other. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Pre-City was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.